Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello podcast listeners, my name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner who heads up the abuse team at Hugh James and I'm joined by my colleagues Danielle Vincent and Kathleen Hannessy. Hi Danny, hi Kathleen. Hi Alan. Thank you as always for joining us with our latest edition of the podcast. As always, we need to give you a health warning because the subject of this podcast is invariably unsensitive and some may find the content upsetting, disturbing and so on. And so if you think you may be troubled by this podcast, now's the time to switch off and go and do something else. Otherwise, we'll be delighted if you stay with us. So in this edition of the podcast, we are going to be discussing sexual abuse in the military. So we've decided to talk about this particular subject because it's very much in the news again. So those who follow these sorts of stories will be familiar with cases both in the UK and overseas. I'm thinking of Australia and the US and Canada, where there have been numerous allegations of sexual abuse in the armed forces. To put it neutrally, quite a major issue. But anyway, so it's been in the news again here in the UK and Danny spotted in the news a particular case where quite a senior officer has been sent to prison following a court's martial in respect of uh, an indecent assault, as I understand it, but he committed on a fellow member of um, the armed forces. Anyway, I'm going to get Kathleen and Danny to talk to us about some of these cases, and then we can pick up on some of the themes that arise from them. Okay, thanks, Alan, for the introduction. Yes, this week we're going to talk about this because just a quick search on Google at the moment, there were three cases that came up straight away, which is from just the last couple of months. So the one you have introduced us to, yes, this was somebody that had had 25 years of unquestioned service, went out on some drinks. They were on a day trip to Amsterdam and an assault took place on the way back on a train. This was reported. And yes, he was sentenced to 10 months in military detention, is likely to serve five and has been dismissed from the the Navy. I think it was quite important from the reporting that the judge said, you know, his his actions had affected morale and, and the reputation. And that is one thing, you know, this person had 25 years service there, but also to individuals that have suffered specifically sexual abuse. This is a lot of the time females don't feel the ability to come forward. And when we were preparing for this podcast, that there was another in May 2023, which was a terrible headline, but uh, as per usual by the press, but it was groping major guilty of carrying out brazen sexual assault on the dance floor at a military party. And again, this was an event arranged by the military and this individual he was found to have touched a junior officer inappropriately on the dance floor. He'd spent 24 years with an exemplary military career. And, you know, he, yeah, he was so. charged one assault and cleared one assault. It should be made clear. But again, that's 
two in the, in just in the last couple of months that have made the press. So that means that's two people that have reported, but there may be many that haven't. Yeah, seemingly long and great careers all thrown away because they decide to behave in a clearly um an unacceptable way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's extraordinary, but, you know, it's, they throw it all away, you know, through this behaviour. I mean, quite often they've sort of, is looking at the stories, they've sort of been warned off. But no, there's this sort of sense of entitlement. Is, is that the right way yeah. of putting it? This sort of sense yeah. of entitlement, of carrying on, you know, not accepting when the other party says, no, I'm not interested, get your hands off or whatever. They just carry on as if they're entitled to. Yeah, I, that's, Alan, exactly what I was thinking, is that in those two cases, it seemed like, you know, the word was used brazen in the, the groping major story, but also based on the facts in the the first case that Annie, uh, Danny excuse me, talked about, that also seemed quite brazen in that the female colleague resisted his calls for her to lift her top up and then proceeded to put his hand on her shorts. And, you know, similarly, the groping major just assaulted this woman on the dance floor and then just walked away. And I think for me, the brazen nature of it leads to questions about the culture in the military around what's acceptable and also makes me wonder in the cases of these two particular individuals who did have these long and exemplary careers, are there actually other people that this has happened to that never came forward, which I think also speaks to another cultural issue within the military. Yeah, interesting. And of course, I'd make the point here, but in our work where we represent victims of sexual assault in the armed forces, we have male victims as well as female victims. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, some of our, how can I put it, most high profile cases have been male victims. You know, they've been sexually assaulted by a male colleague. As well, in those circumstances, especially with the military, you, you know, some of the behaviours and actions within the military that, that we know of, is, I think in some respects, it's just as difficult, if not more difficult for a male to come forward and disclose abuse potentially especially if someone wants a continued career in such service which most people when they go into the military do have long-standing careers you've really got a question that potentially that could be the end of your career and of course picking up on where you left off Kathleen with this cultural issue because I've had cases over the years where it's been very difficult to try and work out it was this some kind of initiation exercise was this some kind of bonding mm. episode or is it mm. horseplay or whatever you know from where I am all of it just seems bizarre and, and wrong and horrendous but it's some of this behavior is passed off as initiation and bonding this is what we do in the army or the navy or whatever it happens to be and I'm listening to this and thinking well, really and it's behavior but would never ever be tolerated in civilian life because actually it's sexual assault and you well, can't it's criminal yeah it's criminal yeah. Isn't it? it's interesting to think about that kind of idea of normalizing abuse and assault and obviously we see that in the work that we do across all of our cases and you know in relation to all of our clients and in various settings often the abusers normalize the abuse but i think in a cultural setting when there is institutional levels of abuse and that idea of normalizing abuse i wonder that that's often what's happening in the military both whether the victim is male or female I think particularly in the context of male-on-male -male assaults in the military, I think often it can be passed off as horseplay. And certainly in one of the cases I've dealt with, when that victim did then come forward and disclose, the bullying that he was subjected to 
was almost more traumatic than the assault itself because he was bullied by senior officers and by, you know, fellow soldiers because he had disclosed and, you know, was called gay and 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 lots of things that just made the experience that much more traumatic, to be frank. So, I mean, if anything is a chilling effect on an assault victim coming forward, it's the response that the military, and not just the military themselves, but I think that the people around the victim have to the disclosure. And that's something for sure. And, and that specific case that I'm talking about was not dealt with appropriately by senior senior officers and that they could have clamped down on, you know, the bullying that was going on. Right. And of course, this comes at a price, not in just in human terms, because of all the harm that's caused, but it can end up costing the MOD, Ministry of Defence, a shed load of money because not only are they losing personnel who have been very expensively trained and so on, it could end up facing claims because the MOD in certain circumstances may be what's known as vicariously liable for what has taken place. And if, you know, the injured party has lost their career as a result of of what has happened, you can see how that might end up costing the MOD twice. Because they've gone and lost someone who's useful and has been very expensively trained. And then this person is going to pursue a claim against the MOD because they've been sexually abused by a, a senior person in, in respect of them. And, you know, they've gone and lost their career, may have lost their pension and so on. So it adds up to a, a, a sizable sum of money running into hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not more. Yeah. And you, you're right there in the respect of, you, you mentioned at the start of this podcast that it's not just within the UK. And as I say, just doing a bit of research for this podcast, there was a headline within the last couple of months that in the US that there's been a payout of nearly one million for, again, a case with a former top general. So, you know, there are potentials that, as you say, people are going to lose a potentially very big pension and things like that if, if they, they're leaving the military. I think if the, if the military in this country or the US or any other country, I would imagine this type of issue exists in probably most militaries across the world just because of the nature of, of the organization. But the motivation should be, as you as you said, Alan, you know, changing the culture because it's the right thing to do because what's going on is inappropriate and immoral and and criminal. But also if they weren't motivated by that, the fact of the matter is financially it's costing them, as you say, twice, isn't it? You know, somebody who's been in the service for a long time, I'm sure, as you say, very highly and expensively trained for them to try and replace and then equally having to pay out on claims when this type of misconduct takes place. Well, I saw a statement from Ben Wallace, who's the defence secretary, and he was commenting in respect of women in the armed forces, but was saying that it's gradually getting better, but acknowledged that dealing with cultural challenges in the military doesn't happen overnight. But the, the key was that complaints were taken seriously. But off the back of that, I saw a statistic that was saying two thirds of serving women had suffered bullying, sexual harassment or discrimination. So we're still talking big numbers. I looked at a few statistics just to compare whether there had been changes. And so from what I found, it was in the last couple of years, numbers of soldiers and sailors appearing in in military court charged with sexual offences rose by 70 percent in January 2023. And a large proportion of them were abuse of women in services, often by male personnel. 2022 heard 55 separate court cases of offences of sexual assault. The year before was 32, 50% were found guilty. And 29 troops were convicted in 2002 of either rape, sexual assault, sexual harassment or other sexual offences, which again was almost a 50% increase. 
one of the things that I did come across when looking at this was that there was definitely conversations happening online about whether there should be, instead of things being dealt with by military police and military courts, whether it should be handled by civilian police and civilian courts. And that's definitely still being questioned. I wondered both of your thoughts on that, actually. I don't know. Um, I'm just familiar with, you know, the armed forces having effectively their own system. And I think there was an inquiry a couple of years ago into all of this. I think one of the issues rightly or wrongly is is about transparency you know military court isn't quite yeah. the same as a civilian court mm-hmm. you know it's justice not only must be done it must be seen to be done and i would have thought the vast majority of the population are just not familiar with what yeah. happens in a military court and so on whereas they're probably more familiar with the concept of the magistrates court and the crown court and i think for me looking in from the outside i do wonder if it's some if there's a need for change but maybe that'd be subject for another podcast so need to bring this podcast to a close as always thank you for listening and if you have any thoughts comments about this podcast or any other of our podcasts then please do get in touch if you want to talk to us in confidence about anything that's happened to you or to someone that you know or if you've got any questions or queries please do not hesitate to get in touch otherwise it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them bye everyone (laughs) bye everyone thanks for listening thank you for listening to this episode of hj talks about abuse you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast player if you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today we'd love to hear from you email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.